Welcome to Horror Origins. My name is Matthew Tancic, and over the course of this podcast, we're going to be delving into horror firsts, dissecting their genesis and learning a bit more about the history of the cultural world that has sprung up around us. This is episode one, the very first episode, so thank you for taking the time to check out my new podcast. In this episode, we're going to be taking a look at the first story to ever feature an occult detective. The author is Fitzjames O'Brien, and the story is The Pot of Tulips. But before we begin, let's break things down so we know what we're getting ourselves into. First, we're going to be taking a look at what an occult detective actually is. What does that mean, anyway? We're going to be taking a look at the author who wrote it. Then we're going to be taking a look at the context of the world that the story was born into, so we can kind of appreciate what it was going to like be like to read it for the first time. And then we're going to be taking a look at the story itself and the legacy that that story has had since its inception. Did you bring your revolver? And that grimoire of spiritual seals? That's good. Just let me finish setting these vacuum tubes at each point of this pentagram I've drawn on the floor, and we can get going. Okay, so what is an occult detective? Well, typically it's the character that is doing the investigation in a genre of fiction that is a fusion between the standard detective story and one that incorporates supernatural elements. Now, there is some gray area here, but typically I found that the occult detective is a character that applies a bit of the scientific method to a problem, um, usually a problem that defies a scientific explanation, and through an internal logic of the story itself, is able to deduce what is really going on and makes an attempt at solving things. Some famous occult detectives in uh, similar works of fiction include um, Jules de Grandin, which is a character by an author named Seabury Quinn. Thomas Carnacki was a character by William Hope Hodgson. There's Sheridan Lafanu's character, Dr. Martin Hesalius. He's one of the first and uh, John Silence by Algernon Blackwood. And in the case of Pot of Tulips, we do get that character archetype. It's the first time we get this kind of confluence of different elements, which is why this is considered to be the first occult detective story, and why we're talking about it now. So who wrote this thing? Well, the author's name is Fitzjames O'Brien, and the story he's writing is called the pot, or the story he wrote, is called The Pot of Tulips. O'Brien, as you might have guessed, uh, is of Irish heritage, having been born in Cork and growing up in Limerick. He attended the University of Dublin, and although I can't confirm it, he may have at one time been part of the British Army. In the early 1850s, he immigrated to the United States, and it's at this point in his life when he, be, when he came to the United States he began to really focus on his literary career, and out of that career we get the birth of the occult detective story. He got his first uh, job, put, he got his foot in the door, uh, at a couple of publishing companies in New York, and then got noticed by a much larger and lucrative one called Harper's Magazine in 1853, for which he contributed more than 60 articles in prose and verse, 
and this is where we find the story we're, about, we're particularly interested in and we're going to be um, sort of taking a look at uh, in today's episode. But before we dive into the story, I think it would be helpful to get a snapshot of what the world was like at the time to give us a better impression of what would have been like for us to first find this and read it. So what's the context here? Well, the world leading up to this moment, while no doubt following the alluring perfume of science and rationalism, was also a place already steeped in the ideas of the supernatural. I mean, folklore, which is to say stories being orally told from one person to another, has been with humanity since the invention of language. But it was suddenly put under the scrutiny of the scientific method in whole and new and exciting ways at this time. And anything that science couldn't explain, well, that just became far more fascinating and mysterious. So the zeitgeist was already charged with the phenomenon of the Fox Sisters, who you might have heard of. The Fox Sisters um, were widely popularized as spiritual mediums and were really sort of the launching off point for the spiritualist movement. So you have a, a, a population that's just is, is growing is growing interest in the supernatural and particularly spiritualism. And O'Brien, who's writing for this magazine, always a man with novel ideas, put into this divide between the scientific world and rationalist stories and this idea of the supernatural and the spiritualist movement, and he built a, a bridge. And that bridge is a character, right? His main character could explain to the layperson just what, what might be going on and convince those of rational thought that things outside of the world of accepted natural laws might actually be the result of causes and effects that could be predicted and measured and worthy of investigation. The public were hungering for the mystique and style of seances and psychic mediums that approached the taboo subject of death. And O'Brien, too, I think clearly was at least intrigued by it. As we'll see in, in the story, he has quite a bit of knowledge of the pseudo-scientific theories at the time. And he references symbolism and uh, of those that he depicts communicating with those beyond the veil which is sort of a hallmark of the spiritualist movement. So it helps to appreciate the concept if you look at it through the lens of the time period. One could argue that perhaps the concept was inevitable, considering where things were going in this country. But just as we give credit to the Wright brothers for the invention of the of flight in the airplane, um, I think so too we should give credit to O'Brien for his, his contribution here as being the first to come up with this idea. So let's uproot this pot of tulips and get into the story itself. It's less than 7,000 words, and it's now in the public domain. And I'll provide links to the sh in the show notes if you want to read it for yourself. So the story. Well, the story takes place in New York, and it revolves around a man named Harry Escott. And while he does not proclaim outright to be some sort of occult detective in the story, as you read it, you become more aware that he is in fact more knowledgeable than the subject than you would ever be as a reader, and certainly more knowledgeable than his friend, Jasper, who accompanies him throughout the story and is sort of the regular Joe stand-in that the reader is supposed to be able to relate to. And Jasper also, and maybe more importantly, allows the main character 
to explain things or allows Harry Escott to explain things to him. He's just sort of a sounding board and he, he, he doesn't all happen internally inside uh, Harry Escott's mind. Harry, uh, on two or three occasions, references other cases of supernatural events that he has looked into. And while he, you know, himself has not experienced anything supernatural throughout the course of his own life, is well prepared for it when events do happen to him. For the first night, he stays at the location of the story, which is the old Van Coren home, which is a, a classic Gothic sort of haunted house setting. Harry Escott, uh, in the story, upon feeling an unexpected cool breeze on his face uh, the first night he stays in the home, Harry tells us the following, which I'm going to quote from the story to give you sort of a sample of what this reads like. I had devoted much time to the investigation of what are popularly called supernatural matters by those who have not reflected or examined sufficiently to discover that none of these apparent miracles are supernatural, but all, however singular, directly dependent on certain natural laws. I became increasingly convinced, therefore, as I sat up in my bed, peering into the dim recesses of my chamber, that this mysterious wind was the effect or forerunner of a supernatural visitation, and I mentally determined to investigate it as it developed itself with a philosophical calmness. Right, so a bit wordy, a bit dense to get through, but there, in that two sentences, we get a two huge defining characteristics of the occult detective. Right, one that he is a pre—he's pre-armed with knowledge about such things, and two that supernatural events are an expression of natural laws, which, if armed with a steady head, can be unpacked if you just know how to. The character goes on to give some citations of past chronicled events, and O'Brien further fleshes out the larger world that he's, um, he's building that's informing our main character. It might be interesting to note here that the rules that O'Brien puts forth regarding how the supernatural elements work in his story are loosely, or maybe not so loosely, based on the thoughts of a Dr. Carl Ludwig von Reichenbach, Heck of a name, um, who at the end of his life was a prominent, uh, sorry, a proponent of the theory of the, something called the Odic Force. And it's the Odic Force is a belief that all things are connected through heat and magnetism and energy. It's a pretty trippy idea, and I'm going to include some links to that in the show notes as well if you're interested in learning more about sort of the basis of a lot of the things that happen in this little short story. It's not outright named, but it does come up a lot in this type of material, not just in this story, but if you're interested in other works of sort of pulpy, occult, or weird fiction, uh, it's definitely uh, something you're going to want to look into because you'll see references to it all the time. Through uh, interaction and deduction, the meaning behind the spirit is puzzled out by our main character, Mr. Escott, and the mystery of the old Van Corn home is solved by the end of the story. My personal reflections back on the story, well, I thought it was a satisfying ending to the story, and after reading it, I hoped it would have been the starting point for a whole series involving Harry Escott. I thought there were some really great seeds of world-building that were planted in here, um, but 
No, sadly, this is just a one-off. Uh, O'Brien did not pick back up Harry Escott and take him on another adventure down the line. It's just this one story. But that's just what I think. At the time, what did the rest of the world think? Well, the reception of the Pot of Tulips, while not being a failure by any means, was not the breakout success story of O'Brien's career. That wouldn't happen until a few years later with the creation of a story called The Diamond Lens. And even then, he was, he was perhaps just as well known at the time for his Civil War poetry as he was with strange fiction. But the idea of a protagonist steeped in occult knowledge, trying to solve the unexplainable using traditional detective methods is something that would ripple out from this little story for the next 166 years. And so, what's its legacy? Well, you can hardly shake a stick at the amount of material produced that is derivative, or at least inspired by, the occult detective archetype. From classic characters like William Hope Hodgson's Karnacki, who I mentioned earlier, or even Bram Stoker's von, Dr. Von Helsing, all the way through modern incarnations like, I don't know, the Ghostbusters or Hellraiser's John Constantine. And perhaps O'Brien's primogenitor of the concept isn't its best incarnation. The first of anything is rarely its best form. But once it's been crafted, you get the ability to refine and perfect it. The story doesn't contain much supernatural combat, or any presupposed classifications for paranormal entities, things that we have come to expect in the genre. But nonetheless, the seed was planted. So the next time a hero comes into focus, wearing the trappings of the fringe expert to struggle with the dilemma outside the normal forces of the mundane world, you'll hopefully look at that role a bit differently, and perhaps have a feeling of thanks to Mr. O'Brien for his part in bringing that into being. Hey, if you enjoyed this podcast and learning about the strange works of horror that have brought us to where we are today, I implore you to take a moment and rate or review the show. It'll help more people find out about it, and the more people we can get interested in this stuff, the better. And if you appreciate podcasts that are advertisement-free and want to say thanks or make a recommendation for the show, feel free to email me at author at matthewtansick.com or click on the contact button on matthewtansick.com, and links for both of those things will be in the show notes. And lastly, if you want to stay up to speed on this or any of my other creative projects, I am on Twitter. I tweet at TANZ444, TANZ444. Feel free to reach out. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, thanks for joining